from Yahoo Sports. Nick, how are you? Good. It's almost Sunday morning, so would that count as today? Yeah, no, it's it's a today. I'm, I'm going to go with a today on this one, yeah. Um, it, it turned out to be a longer race and a longer evening than we anticipated because that race was flying by. There was no, as Matt Weaver says, natural cautions, in quotes. You know, the only three cautions were for the competition caution, two stage breaks, and I was like, this is going to be over in like two and a half hours. Then all of a sudden... It all just went to crap, I guess. Because you jinxed it. You, <laughs> you were talking about how the fact that there were no... It's like a no-hitter, you know? I don't believe in no-hitter jinxes, but you almost have to sit there and say, should I mention this? I don't know. Well, I didn't mind because I was, I was like, kind of like, man, this, this race needs, this could use some action. I didn't anticipate quite the level of action that was going to go on there. But um, dang, I mean, uh, I think it all started with, what, Suarez and Bowman hitting... Uh, on the backstretch, and then after that, you had the Blaney uh, Larson wreck, or uh, well, at least Blaney went in the wall, and then that led to that set up another restart, which led to the Byron only taking two tires, getting loose, and almost. I mean, gosh, he he went on another car on top of Ryan Newman yet again. Is that the fifth, the sixth? I need to go back and look because we are potentially past one hand counting <laughs> the number of times a car has landed on Ryan Newman. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good situation for him. He's clearly a magnet for cars landing on top of him. But um, ultimately, it sets up a very exciting finish, I think, at least in my opinion, um, where you had Martin Truex Jr. was going to win for some reason, even though he hadn't been a factor the whole night, stayed out, put himself in good position. He was going to win the race. And then Harvick, who takes four tires, uh, is able to track him down. Ronnie Childers in the post-race press conference said he was so mad he had pretty much given up on. It. He started packing up his laptop and was just like, you know, going to throw stuff and was all pissed because you know they they had blown it uh, by pitting there. And next thing you know, he said he looks up and <laughs> it's right there and Harvick ends up winning. Um, pretty good race, I, I think. I, I don't know. The last 25 laps, tw- last 30 laps, we got through the red flag were fantastic. And I think you have to look at this too and say, you know. F- Far too often, it feels like, in the last few years with NASCAR, you have either a clean air race where track position is all that matters, or everybody takes four tires every single time they come to pit road. This was the first time, and I'm blanking off the top of my head, where you had guys at the front. I think the first six cars there on that penultimate caution did not pit. You had guys with two tires like Byron, did not work out well. Four tires with Harvick works out perfectly. And then you had the convergence of the two strategies over the last three laps. That hardly happens. And it also provided some pretty compelling racing, too, I thought. Yeah. Um, in, in, in addition to that, it was like, I mean, okay, before all the craziness broke out, you still had a couple good battles. I don't know if that was going to be enough to salvage it and say it was, it was a good race. But the way that it set up and sort of built, um, built up to a really exciting finish, I think that was – there was some satisfaction in that. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like you had a couple good moments early in the race and then, yeah, you know, there was, there was some pass for the lead with five to go or something like it, it, 
it built up right to the finish. You had an incident with two of, I think, three of the best, two of the three best cars with Larson and Blaney. You had one of the best cars coming back to win. You had a guy in the top ten who kind of, he, Truex, was basically an eighth, ninth place car. He said he was working his way up towards the top five near before they stayed out. So you're right. You, yes, the middle section dragged with Harvick, Larson, and Blaney basically running. It felt like one, two, three for 100 laps. But you, how often do you have a... You have it where you have to say, Harvick, you know, one guy wins, one guy gets taken out, one guy finishes 15th. That really doesn't happen that often when you have three guys dominate a race like this. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with Harvick. Um, you know, I'm, I'm oddly finding this actually quite compelling. Typically when I feel like some guy is dominating, I'm like, oh, geez, I'm one of these people. It's like it's, it's just too much. I, I want to see different people do it. But at this point... He's won so much. I mean, five out of the 12 races this season, and he's doing it in sort of remarkable ways here, I feel like. And, and I'm like, man, I kind of want to see how far this goes. And he said himself in the in, in the post-race press conference, it's like a game to him at this point. Like he realizes, and Childers realizes, they're in like a once-in-a-career, once-in-a-lifetime stretch right now where they're just hot and they're winning. And he's like, I want to see – how many races I can win. I want to see how many laps I can lead. It's not going to last. They know it's not going to last at this pace. And there's two things. First off, this feels, I think, very much like Tony Stewart in 2011 when he won five of those 10 chase races. Because if Stewart, even when he wasn't winning, he was up near the front and in contention in those other five races that he didn't win. Second, I agree. This is completely compelling. I can see at this rate, I can see Kevin Harvick winning 10 races before the playoffs. I don't think it's likely, but I can see it happening. That being said, and I hate to be, oh my gosh, negative, here I am, negative, <laughs> is this too much too soon? Because we've seen this before where the teams that are really good in the first third of the season aren't the teams that are really good in the last third of the season when it really matters. So uh, to me, this is fantastic to watch just to see how dominant they can be. That being said, I am just in- extremely intrigued to see if this dominance can carry over into September and October and November. Right, like is it going to be, are they peaking too early or are they going to be able to pull off a Jeff Gordon season from whatever that was, 98 or something, yeah, Yeah. Um, where he won double-digit races. Um, I mean, it's been a while since we saw someone really, because, okay, even when Harvick was dominant, um, like in 2014 or, or, or Truex last year, there was many races where they would lead and they would, they might show up the fastest, they might unload the fastest, be fastest all weekend, win the pole, whatever. But then there would be races where they wouldn't close it out. And he's closing them out, and in, and even now he's winning races where he's not even the fastest car because Larson was the fastest car. He's, so he's closing them out in different fashion. And yeah. I'm going to go ahead and just basically contradict what I just said because we're at the rate now five and twelve. That is 25 playoff points from wins alone. We're getting dangerously close to the point where Kevin Harvick, it does not matter what he does in the first nine races of the playoffs, and all they have to do is show up with a damn good car in Homestead and win that race. Because well, he's, he's breaching Truex territory, and if we thought Truex was dominant last year, we could see a whole nother level of dominance this year. And I'll, I'll add to this. So Kyle Busch said something interesting last night. He, he was talking about Noah Gregson and how the way that Noah won the truck race um, on Friday night was really a good omen because he said at Kansas, you run the top, you run the wall just like you do at Homestead. So if you can run the top here, you can run well at Homestead. Truex, of course, last year won both Kansas races. Then he went to Homestead, 
Um, so I wonder if Kansas is like the, the closest uh, the closest thing to Homestead of a mile and a half track, the, the, the biggest omen, um, which, you know, Harvick did win tonight, but Larson had the fastest car. So I, I don't know. I don't know what exactly to make of that. But the fact that Harvick won, um, if Larson's not there challenging him, you know, if Larson, you know, Larson's only 11 in points right now, so, and he hasn't won. So if, if if it's Harvick in the final four and Larson's not there, I feel like Harvick's going to have a pretty good shot. I, right. I think you look at this now and say Harvick's the favorite. And he also, too, look how much time he gained going up against the wall, just like you said. I mean, the last four laps, he just closed on Truex. And I think, too, you know, you mentioned Larson being in 11th and, and being winless this season. I think as Harvick's if Harvick's dominance continues, I don't think this necessarily, there's going to become a tipping point soon. This is what I wanted to ask them, but I didn't have the chance to tonight. There's going to be a tipping point soon where it's not necessarily about the number of points Kevin Harvick is going to have entering the playoffs. It's going to be about the number of points he's prevented other guys from getting. Because if you yeah. can be put yourself in a position to say, hey, like Truex almost last year was, I am the only person who I know that if I run decently over the first nine races, I'm guaranteed. Because right now, he's he sniffed, he sniffed out by side-drafting Larson the way he did later in the race to push Larson, earlier in the race to push Larson backwards. He prevented Larson from locking himself in and getting five points. It, this is now about, I think, getting very close to that point of, hey, I took five points that you guys don't have. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, no pun intended. I didn't mean to repeat no, that the word point. Um, Let's talk about, um, you know, I, I know we, there, we could talk about Harvick forever at this point. I guess I said point again. I don't know what's wrong with me. We have points on the brain. Point, point, point a lot, yeah. But anyway, we could talk about Harvick all night. Let's talk about Kyle Larson because up until the period, I won't say point, where, <laughs> where Ryan Blaney got into him, I honestly thought that Larson was driving maybe the best race of his NASCAR career, um, at least on the best race, the best mile and a half uh, track, as Bob Pockers had pointed out, um, Larson has yet to win on a mile and a half track, and so this looked like it was finally going to be his night. He's definitely driven some great homestead races, but just the way he was ripping the high line and running the wall lap after lap, so close to it. I mean, he used to do that in his first couple of years, and it would be impressive, but then he'd hit the wall. Like multiple times, right? And take himself out of a race. Was it two or three years ago at Homestead in the final race where he was leading and then scrubbed the wall and completely? He was in contention and scrubbed the wall and, and lost it. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I think I feel like that happened multiple times. So here was a night where he was clearly doing something. He was clearly making the difference. He was elevating that car to another level because it was all the Fords, it was Toyotas. No Chevys in sight. For a while there, the, other, the only Chevy anywhere close was like 13th place, and it's Larson who's leading the race. I mean, and, and his teammates running 15th. I, I just thought, wow, this is Larson is really just putting on a show. Um, unfortunately for him, I think Blaney just made a mistake. Um, I, I, I got to talk, I asked Larson this after the race. Well, what's the difference between what Larson did side drafting Harvick to make a pass and what Blaney was trying to do to Larson? And Larson said, oh, there's a big difference because I had a run and I was able to side draft while I was making that run. Blaney was just trying to slow me down enough to catch up to me and made a mistake. So he felt there was a difference. It looked fairly similar to me. What about you? 
That's a good point because Larson had taken advantage of Blaney. That sounded awful. <laughs> Larson had gone ahead of Blaney in the trioval, and Blaney was doing all he could to try to suck Larson backwards into turn one. And it almost looked like almost looked like Blaney got there once, and then he bobbled a little bit and then lost. You know, hit Larson again, caused the damage. And but you're right, Larson was the most compelling driver I think of the evening until Kevin Harvick did what he and Wright Rose did what they did over the last 20 laps because. Kyle Larson started 33rd, 34th. There were four or five cars behind him when the race started. They laid over. He was supposed to start at the back, but the slower cars laid over. They're like, go ahead. Yeah, exactly, which is totally understandable. He was 13th and had passed Chris Bridger, who was 9th. Larson was 13th in eight laps. Unbelievable. 21 positions in eight laps at an intermediate track. Insane. He was just absolutely flying. And, again, more noteworthy given that the Chevys have been absolute crap. Right. And I think that's a fair point to say because we're not used to this, to seeing Chevy and Hendrick and, you know, even the Ganassi cars. Larson's had some speed, but McMurray hasn't had the speed he had last year. They just have not been good this year. And, you know, with Larson, I you saw this firsthand, so I'm going to ask you, how severe was the dip in the rear windshield? Because Larson says there's a dip in... Kyle Larson's, and it's not in the normal spot. We've seen the dips in the windshield, it looks like, um, previously with Kevin Harvick. They've been on the right side of the car. Larson's was on the left side of the car, right? It was. And Larson has damage on the left quarter panel from where Blaney hit him from when Blaney hit the wall. So how severe was that Was that damage? And kind of take us through what you saw at the car, because I know you said you took a picture of it. Yeah, well, he definitely had um, pretty decent left side damage. It wasn't just like a scrape. I mean, he had, uh, like, a hole punched in there, and part of, the like, the left rear um, corner was sort of mangled a little bit, the sheet metal. Um, I had no idea about – I mean, I'm standing right next to the car waiting for Larson to be interviewed because TV was taking a long time to go because um, they were showing Harvick stuff. So Jamie Little standing there. They're waiting, waiting, waiting. And then so Jamie Little asked her follow-up question about, oh, looks like, you know, somebody must have told her or whatever, hey, ask about the rear window. So she says, you know, your rear windshield – and he seemed to say, oh, yeah, well, we, you know, we got damaged. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know about that. So I went around and started taking a picture of it. And the crew guys are standing there. They go, oh, oh, hey, buddy. Hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what do you think you're doing? You know? And pictures are illegal. I, I wanted to say, uh, you know, I'm me taking a cell phone picture of this is the least of your problems. This was just shown on national TV. And he just talked about it on Fox. So uh, they obviously were unaware of that. But um, I, I think it's. You know, one of those things where it probably is going to get penalized because NASCAR has been cracking down on this, or they certainly don't like it. And if they don't, if it's something where um, they they let them get away with it, sort of, I guess you could say. Um, I think it's one of those things where they they they'll say, well, the rear brace. They want them to bring a stronger rear brace. I'm, I'm sure they're they're. The teams are designing these so that it could potentially buckle, right? Right. So here's here's the precedent that I'm thinking of is we've had four rear windshield penalties this season. I think we had two. was El, uh, Harvick, Elliott, and then Boyer and Suarez at Dover. So if you say the Larson, which is entirely possible that the rear windshield is buckled because of the, the damage. I can buy that 100% if that turns out to be true. Um what's to say that, say, a guy wins a race? And we've seen it. I'm not implicating Martin Truex Jr., but we see Martin Truex Jr. do burnout so hard where he blows the rear tires and causes significant damage to the back of the car. What, say the windshield is buckled on a car that does that in a burnout, 
obviously you can say, hey, the damage from our burnout caused that rear windshield to buckle. If you say this in Larson's case, well, then you're setting yourself up for, you know, the people watching on TV and taking pictures and saying, well, look, he did a burnout. I can see in this picture his rear windshield is buckled. Why didn't he get penalized? This is going to be a very interesting case here, I think, NASCAR and Larson, because you're setting yourself up for a bit of a slippery slope if he does not get penalized. Yeah. I I feel like they're they're probably going to give the same penalty they've been giving. I just... I don't. I don't see a way around it at this point. And and people, especially since it's in the public eye, people would really cry foul. I think if they did, because this is this is the one NASCAR penalty of all the penalties we see. This is the one penalty that fans can see mm-hmm. that it's blatantly obvious from national TV what is happening with that weird windshield, whether it's purposeful or not. And it seems like the teams are saying, you know, hey, we're not we're not really doing this on purpose, even though I think if there is an advantage to be gained. That's awesome. You know, the ingenuity is great. Well, um, and, and also by the time that we get done with this podcast, I'm sure there will already be pictures judging whether or not the damage did happen before. You know, w- I'm without sure a people doubt. already have freeze-framed it and all that stuff. There will be so. a lap 200 picture of Larson's car somewhere, and we can look and see the buckle for ourselves. Yeah. Um, so Logano seemed disappointed um, that he was that he had a shot to win and, and didn't, you know, it seemed like he was taking it you know, he was pretty bummed about it, but I was thinking he should be happy because I didn't really think he was that much in contention. Um, you know what I mean? He like, had a fifth place car. I, yeah. So to finish third, I mean, to even have a shot at the win was going to be a bonus. I mean, I know it, it stinks to get close and not to be able to do it, but I don't know. Anybody, anybody aside from like Harvick, Larson, or Blaney tonight that had a shot at the win, they should have considered that just like gravy because right. it wasn't their night. Yeah, Logano wasn't the best Penske car. The best Penske car was Blaney. Keselowski had, I think, two loose wheels. And, and and, you know, Logano and Keselowski were right there with Blaney. They were maybe just a tick behind, but they were in the top ten. So, yeah, you know, Logano finishing third, that's that's a very good day. And I think it's also too indicative. Logano is being overlooked in the Kevin Harvick-Kyle Busch conversation because Kyle ended up finishing tenth, right? He did. Yeah, after he passed Stenhouse and Elliott on on the last lap. So Kyle gets another top ten. Logano and Kyle have the most top tens this year. Logano oh. is having one of those sneaky, consistent seasons where he's second in points behind Kyle Busch, although Harvick might have closed that gap this year or with the win tonight. But, yeah, Logano is not there in this with Harvick and Busch, but he's there. He, he's very, very close, and I think it's gonna he's going to take a lot more steps forward when he gets a win on a non-restrictor plate track. What happened with the Kyle... Stenhouse Elliott thing. I know you saw that more than I did because I went to talk to Larson on pit road and I completely whiffed on it. So, um, so, so it I don't was, know what happened. It was interesting to watch because Stenhouse and Elliott, it looks like, so Kyle finished 10th. So they were battling for 10th at that point. And coming off turn four, Elliott was on the high side. Uh, Stenhouse was on the low side. Stenhouse tried to slide up in front of Elliott and Elliott backed off the gas. Elliott, I think, would have been within his entire rights to turn Stenhouse at that point because it's Stenhouse did not have the room that I think he thought he had, or he just maybe said, screw it, it's the last lap, I'm going to do this and see what happens. Elliott backs off. The momentum that they both lose at that point, Kyle Busch comes sweeping around on the inside, gets Elliott easily, nips Stenhouse at the line for the top ten. Afterwards, Elliott then runs into the back of Stenhouse's bumper pretty hard. I mean, it wasn't huge, but he did hit him pretty significantly, and then Stenhouse runs him up the track a little bit, and they got out, and they kind of gestured each other. They didn't look... 
on a scale of calmly talking to Elliot and Denny Hamlin, I would put it as a five. If, if, so, if Elliot and Denny Hamlin is a ten. Elliot didn't say, come on, man. I not, <laughs> didn't not that mouth it. Yeah. Okay. okay. I was hoping for another come on, man. Um, what did you think about Matt Kenseth's weekend? Um, I don't know. Was, to me... <laughs> I'm looking. To, I'm looking at the sheet right now to see well, where he, he got actually. In the wreck. He, he got in the wreck. He was but, caught in the big wreck. Yeah. yeah. But um, okay. Uh, up until that point, I mean, he was like two laps down yeah. and not running well. They had miserable um, practices. They didn't get to qualify. The whole time, um, as he's not running well and you know getting outpaced by Michael McDowell and stuff like that, I'm thinking, man, Trevor Bain's just got to be sitting there going, "Told ya, told ya, y'all thought it was me. It's the car. Guess what?" Yeah, the car was bad. And also, too, it was interesting. There was a Kenseth at one point. It was a green flag pit stop cycle, I think, in the second stage where Kenseth was right behind Kyle Busch. And he had to slow up, basically, because of the way Kyle Busch was in his box. And he had to slow down to let Kyle Busch go out because otherwise he would have hit Kyle Busch on his way out. And then someone, I don't know who tweeted it um, out, saying Kenseth radio's crew and said, hey, guys. Screen flag pit stops, why are we pitting on the same lap as both the car? Because Kenseth had to be so close to Kyle Busch in his box because the car behind him was pitting. He was like, hey, guys, why are we pitting on the same lap as the two guys around us? And to me, something like that really hints at there is much more of a systemic issue than simply replacing the driver and hoping that a cup champion can come in there and give you top 10s. And to be honest, too, Stenhouse was, was outside the top 20 for a lot. I mean, he came on later in the race, but, you know, Stenhouse wasn't lighting the world on fire throughout the race while Kenseth was mired back in traffic. So, you know, I think the sixth car, there is a performance gap there between the 17 and the six, and then Kenseth jumping in there and not being a world beater shows just how far they still have to go. So now the series turns to Charlotte. For a couple of weeks, you've got the all-star race, you've got the 600. Is it going to be more Harvick stuff, you think? See, here's the thing. I wanted to say, think it was more Harvick stuff, and then I realized that the all-star race and the rules package, and I'm like, I have no idea. Like, yeah. Because we're not, we, which is, I guess, you know what? It may actually be nice to go to the all-star race and watch it and think, this is not going to be reflective of anything else we're going to see the rest of the year. We can You can just watch this race and go, oh, that happened, and it, we don't have to draw any conclusions from it because we can't. But, yes, I think absolutely Harvick has to be the contender for the 600 right now. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's the guy. And Kyle Busch may, maybe is there in second. But you also look at the Fords, and there was a point where it was basically Ford, 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 sporadic Toyota, Ford, Ford. Mm-hmm. It just felt like the Ford brigade was at the front. Like you said, the highest-running Chevy outside of Larson at one point, I think, was like 13th or 14th. Yeah. Well, even the way it finished, I mean, you've got – Larson up there finished fourth, and then the next Chevy was Chase Elliott in 12th. That was a heck of a comeback to finish fourth for Larson. Yeah, no, it really was with the damage he had. The next Chevy after that was 16th. So you only had two Chevrolets in the top 15. And who was 16th? Uh, Almondinger. So you, and so you, and you, there's another thing too. You went Ganassi, Hendrick, JTG, Doherty. Yeah, and, and the fastest Chevy in qualifying was another JTG Jordy car and Busher. Yeah. So, you know, this is a – I'm using the word systemic again, but this is a, a widespread issue with the Chevy cars. Well, it didn't help. not overusing the word point. You know, point, you point, used, point. Yeah. Well, Larson's going to get a points penalty potentially. Yeah. Well, it also didn't help that how many Chevys were taken out in that wreck. Uh, yeah, Byron yeah. and Busher and, and Newman. So, But, yeah, it, this – you know, Chevy's got to find some speed quickly. It'll be very um, – 
Is ironic the right word? I don't know. If a Chevy wins the All-Star race next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that, you know, it, that seems like a McMurray type thing to happen or something, you know. Right. Was it, yeah. We can go back to the argument of winning the All-Star race. Does winning the All-Star race get you into the playoffs? Because remember when no, McMurray did that? And yeah, it should not. No, sorry. Well, not with this rules package. Hell yeah. no. All right, Nick. So um, crazy race for sure. Was it a good race? Uh, when I do the poll on Mother's Day, will people um, say it was a good race? What percent of people will say yes? Ooh. Now, I have to tell you, I'm on a four-race. Uh, Mike South, who listens to this podcast, tells me I'm on a four four-week winning streak of beating the guest here. Um, in the predictions, so so I'm gonna have to if before the last 25 laps I would have said it would be closer to 50-50. I'm gonna be totally juvenile and go with a nice 69 percent. Okay. Yes, 69 percent. Yes, by the way. Okay, you're gonna go 69 percent. Yes. I'm gonna go. I'm. I think people are gonna like that race. They might not uh, like the Harvick win ultimately, but I mean, you had the wrecks, you had the excitement. Um, yeah, a lot of it was toward the end of the race, but I think people are going to go um, 79%. So I'll Ooh. go 10% above you. We'll see what middle ground there is. So basically, four to one, people like approve of the race. I think I think people are going to say it was it was decent. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm also wondering how Mother's Day is going to skew your sample size there. Yeah, people might not be paying as much attention on Twitter. Pay attention to your mom, <laughs> and not Twitter. Let's see if the votes are down. I, yeah. I will have to tell myself that many times. Yeah. So. Anyway, Nick, um, thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, I know it's after midnight, and we're both, we both have things to write. So thanks for taking the time to do it. Um, everybody else, there is a 12 questions coming up on Tuesday with Matt DiBenedetto. Yes, Matt DiBenedetto. Ooh, Reddit's, going for the, going, Reddit's favorite. Yes, he's going for the fan vote this week, so I thought that might be timely. So that is the next podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. Talk to you later on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. <laughs>